trust that you all are doing well. If you have a copy of God's word there in front of you, I invite you to go to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter one, as we continue uh, to make our way through the book of Colossians uh, this semester in our college ministry. We're going to actually finish chapter one tonight. Uh, been in a few weeks now uh, working through uh, the book of Colossians and continue um, our way through it. So Colossians chapter one. If you don't have a Bible with you tonight, uh, you didn't bring one with you, or you don't own one, should be one in the seat in front of you, just on the bottom rack there. You can grab that. That is yours to keep if you don't have one. If you just forgot one and you have like 18 Bibles at home, do us a favor at the end of service, put it back under there. Uh, you don't need to collect another one uh, from us. But if you don't own a Bible, don't have one, that is our gift to you. So Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we'll find our way there to verse 24. If you would stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's word. We're going to look tonight at the idea of a Christ-centered ministry. What does it look like and what does it mean to participate in one? Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse number 24. This is the word of the Lord. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to him for keeping it, preserving it, and allowing us to gather together and read it. Um, so many people have died so that we might be able to enjoy the word of God together. And may we never take it for granted. Let's pray together this evening. Father, thank you tonight that we get to gather. Thank you that we have the opportunity to uh, read from your word. That we have opportunity to sing songs uh, collectively to you. And thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you uh, through every aspect of our service, from uh, the singing of songs to the proclamation of your word, to the prayers for our missionaries and to the prayers of uh, saints and unreached people uh, around the world. And, and Father, we know tonight, we know tonight that we're not the only people in the city that have uh, the gospel or have the corner market on the gospel. And we know that there are other churches in our city that are coming alongside and helping us to reach people collectively as one uh, body of believers and we know this tonight and we ask that you would watch over and protect and allow uh, high street baptist church and the young adult ministry there under the direction of jared bone to flourish that they would reach people the proclamation of the gospel would go forward and uh, we uh, might be co-laborers together in reaching college students around the city and we also think tonight uh, of second baptist and we think of the, the fact that they will have a pastoral candidate in uh, to preach and to be able to call this coming Lord's Day, Father. And we just ask that you would 
Watch over that church, that you would give them wisdom, that if this is the man that you have desired to come and be a pastor in our city, that you would pour out your richest blessings on his ministry and that another church would be faithful to proclaim and see people come to know you. Also think tonight, Father, of people who have never heard your name, who are unreached, unengaged people. We think of the Rawat people in India and the Warian people in Morocco, God. Two people groups who've never heard the name of Jesus. I pray that out of our church, specifically out of our college ministry, you might find uh, one or more to raise up to send to reach those people. Father, that they may know the joy that we have tonight gathering as a body of believers to proclaim the name of Jesus. So I just ask that you would be kind and call one of us to go and reach these people. And Father, as we make our way through your word tonight, I pray that you give me clarity of mind, that you would give me uh, the right words to say and communicate what I've studied this week for our benefit uh, being changed by your word. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there are many, many pressures that can force someone into feeling like they need to stand out in society. Um, we, we live in a society and a time in, in, in an age where uh, the pressure to be flashy or to, to make uh, your mark is really uh, lives high among in our minds and in our lives. And this may be a little bit for some and very uh, short for others to think back to the pressure of trying to get into college uh, for many people. Um, there is no pressure in getting into college. We have a, a school that we want to go to, and um, uh, we're okay trying to get in there. Uh, for me, I was called to ministry at 14, surrendered to ministry at 14, uh, believed that God had called me to be a pastor uh, at a very young age. And so uh, for me, I have my eyes set on, on going to Bible college, training to be a pastor, um, and, and never really took my eyes off of that. But I did have friends in high school. I can distinctly remember having friends that were incredibly bright, 4.0 students, but were absolutely having to kill themselves trying to do enough extracurricular activities to garner the attention of schools. Um, these are people who, who are, again, just incredibly bright. I had a friend uh, of a friend that went to, was trying to get into Notre Dame um, and was unsuccessful and settled to go to Vanderbilt which if you know anything about education, those are two top-notch schools. But the reason why she was not accepted to Notre Dame was because she didn't have enough extracurricular activities. I think this girl was like on everything at our school. Of, of 1,200 students, she was like class president of my senior class. She was involved in every conceivable activity. But she didn't do enough to stand out. Our society preaches and proclaims that you have to do something to stand out. There's this, this, uh, uh, this desire to be noticed, to have 15 minutes of fame, to uh, become someone who makes a lot of money for doing something stupid or for doing really nothing. Uh, when we think of kids who make millions of dollars every year uh, from their YouTube channels simply by unboxing toys. Um, utter stupidity that people will give them money to do this uh but i mean this is realistic you feel that pressure right you've got to wear a certain designer brand uh to fit in 
Uh, you think I, I've always been a fan of the uh, power suit, which if you know anything about men's fashion, that's just a plain Jane navy blue suit. Um, Chuck Colson, who was uh, Nixon's hatchet man in uh, the Watergate scandal, wore Brooks Brothers navy blue suits because he didn't have to worry about standing out for wearing flashy clothes. If he showed up at your office, you could pretty much assure that your political career was over. But not so in the mainstream media, not so in our um, lives. There's, we're told constantly by culture, do something to stand out. I'm fearful tonight, much more than I've ever been, that the church is falling closer and closer to this trend of trying to do things to stand out, to be flashy. You watch much of what masquerades as evangelicalism in our world. If you watch who gets attention, even in our city, I want to be kind tonight, don't want to call anyone out by name, but even in our city, you watch what the major religious activities that take place in our own city, conferences that are geared more around smoke, lasers, attractiveness, than they are to gospel faithfulness. Events high in emotion, low on substance. Events and activities where we'd rather listen to the skillful communicator than the theological one. Events where we don't really care what the words are as long as the music sounds cool. This is what Paul begins to put his focus on at the end of chapter 1. Because see, Solomon's exactly right in the book of Ecclesiastes when he writes that there's nothing new under the sun. And the same problems that plague the Colossian church continue to plague, easily, we could say, easily plague the American church. The idea of having to do something to stand out. Epaphras, the faithful minister, Week in, week out, proclaiming the truth of the scriptures is not enough. As we go further through the book of Colossians, specifically in Colossians chapter 2, we're going to notice that the Colossian heresy, this drawing us away from Christ, is done not by poor communicators, but by excellent communicators. See, one of the things that we constantly have to be reminded of is, Christians, is that when false teaching, and we'll, we'll use the H word tonight, false teaching and heresy come into the life of the church. They don't come in via bad programs and poor communicators. They always come in as wolves dressed like sheep. Because make no mistake, nobody's ever been picked off with heresy because it was boring. Nobody's ever been distracted from focusing on Christ because it didn't make any sense. So what the Apostle Paul does now is actually kind of countercultural for how he normally writes. 
rather than starting by addressing the specific heresy, which he'll do in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul turns now in verses 24 to 29 to his own ministry. In a rare move, the Apostle Paul, like he will in other places in the New Testament, will encourage the church at Colossae to follow Paul as he follows Christ. And tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to look at what the Apostle Paul says in regards to a Christ-centered ministry and follow Paul as he follows Christ. And so I think tonight, if you and I are going to be people who promote and are part and lead and serve and work in a Christ-centered ministry, we have to be willing to do three things. Willing to do three things from this particular text. If we're going to be a part, if we're going to stand strong, like in the passage prior, Paul exhorts the Colossians to ground themselves and be rooted in the gospel. If we're going to be those kind of people, we have to be willing to do three things. I don't know that they're particularly like make you feel good about life things. So if that's what you came looking for, I'm just going to encourage you to look at this particular text and understand this is what it means to be a Christ follower. Number one, willing to suffer, willing to suffer. The Apostle Paul says in verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here the Apostle Paul turns his attention to this group of believers gathered in Colossae, and he begins to exhort them as to how they should live out this Christ-centered ministry, how they should live out living for Christ. And one of the first things that he tells them, if you're going to model your life after me as I follow Christ, you better be prepared to suffer. Following Christ is not an easy thing. Following Christ is not, as some would make you believe, a life that is supremely better, wealthier, easier. I think a lot of times Christians get this misguided thinking. The easier life comes after this life. The better life is the life to come. We're never guaranteed an easier life here on this earth, but we are guaranteed eternity spent with Christ forever. Enjoying and entering into his rest rather than enjoying our physical rest here on this particular earth. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. What an odd phrase. You know, the Apostle Paul, he's well acquainted with suffering. He, I mean, you read uh, the book of Acts and then you read the New Testament letters that the Apostle Paul writes. It's easy to tell this guy understood what it meant to endure actual suffering. He's talking with Paul. Paul's doing 
Pastor Paul is doing uh, the Route 66 uh, sermon tonight in the main sanctuary, going through the book of Philippians. And we were just re reflecting today in the offices, talking as uh, we often do about our sermons. And when you get keyed up to preach, you just need somebody to talk to a, le a little bit of the energy off before you actually get in a pulpit. Otherwise, it'd be even scarier than what sometimes it is in here. So we're talking and reflecting on the Apostle Paul as he writes the, the book of Philippians in jail. Joyful and hopeful, writing to them and encouraging them in ministry. Here's a guy who's in jail, writing and celebrating and, and being happy. And, and not happy in the sense of like, oh, I'm just so happy I'm in jail. Um, that would be probably weird if you're that guy. But a, a gospel-centered happiness to see the Philippians flourish in their current ministry setup, even though he finds himself in prison. Apostle Paul has never been to Colossae. For all we know, he never actually makes it to this church. But he is clear. He's rejoicing in the suffering that he's experiencing for the sake of Christ, his body, which is the church. And, and the Apostle Paul tells us he has become a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. I'm doing this for you. I desire this for you. I'm enduring suffering. I'm enduring affliction. I'm enduring all of these difficult things, not because I'm just like the guy who, you know, sometimes you may think the Apostle Paul's a guy that's like, uh, Looking for a fight. Remember those guys? I don't know if you ever encountered those guys. Those guys are weird. Like, they like getting knocked around, and they like knocking around other people. I was not one of those people. Still not one of those people. I just, just Sometimes you can look at the Apostle Paul and all the difficulties and all of the hardship that he endures, and we can begin to think that the Apostle Paul is someone who went looking for problems. But the Apostle Paul, throughout the New Testament, we see time and time again his faithfulness to Christ, his faithfulness to proclaim the gospel, and his faithfulness to launch and lead out churches inevitably leads to suffering, which he doesn't back away from. And I wonder, in our own lives, we, we claim that we want to be people who reach people who engage people, who see people come to know Christ. But the minute we begin to endure and encounter some pushback, some hostility, we fold. The Apostle Paul understood this because there was something greater motivating the Apostle Paul to endure suffering. Look at verse 26, the mystery which he's continuing on here. He says, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. What is this mystery that the Apostle Paul is referring to? Well, he answers in verse 27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The thing that is motivating the Apostle Paul as he begins to look down the barrel of suffering or even in the midst of suffering is to understand that there's something greater. It's Christ, the hope in you. He's the hope of glory, the hope of future life, not enduring affliction, not enduring separation from God for all eternity, but joy spent 
with Christ. It's an ever-present reality in the Apostle Paul's life, which begs this question. Is this Christ in you, the hope of glory, an ever-present reality in your life? Friends, tonight, can I ask you, have you encountered Christ? I'm not talking about have you had some weird vision or some voice speak to you. But I'm talking about have you heard the truth about who Christ is? That this Christ that Paul is talking about, the hope of glory, him crucified. Do you tonight know the one who suffered and bled on your behalf? You might say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about, do you know from the scriptures how they clearly articulate that you and I are lost? Not lost in the sense of we don't know where we are, because we really could go around the room and hopefully between this group tell where we are. But lost in the sense that there's nothing about you that can redeem yourself. That there's this Truth about all of us that we're born with the sin nature and deserving of separation from God. And, and that nothing can reconcile that about us to God other than God himself, which he does by sending Christ to die for us. And through his death, his literal death, through his literal resurrection, and through his literal reigning, he's provided the opportunity for you and me to be reconciled to God. I've done that, but is that an ever-present reality in your life? If it's not, your greatest need tonight is not to sit through the rest of this sermon and be challenged in two other ways. Your greatest need is to place your faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's that simple. It, It may not sound simple, but it is that simple to understand your greatest need tonight is not where you'll go to dinner or who you'll hang out with, or what's happening after this, your greatest need is for Jesus Christ. Christian tonight, sitting in the room, do you live in light of this ever-present reality? Would you describe your relationship with Christ as the hope of glory? Or would you describe it as something far less than that? A get-out-of-hell free card, if you will. Or something that makes me feel better than other people around me. If that's the case, Can I just encourage you to read this passage over and over and over again and to call out to God to help remind you that the gospel is not just a one and done thing, but it's something that you need every day and it's your only hope. Uh, The famous old document referred to as the Heidelberg Catechism asks these questions and then gives answers. And it's the first question it asks is, what is our only hope in life or death? What is our only hope in life or death? And the answer to that question is that Jesus Christ lived, died, rose again, and is reigning and has provided the means for salvation for you and for me. If I were to ask you tonight, what is your hope in life and death? If your answer is anything other than Jesus Christ, friend, you not only have flunked 
the question, you've flunked the entire test. And Christian and non-Christian, both alike, need the answer to be Christ is my only hope in life and death. But it's not just being willing to suffer as if that is, I mean, that's pretty, a, a, a very downer way to start a sermon today. Like, that's point one. Let's move to something more positive, a little bit more encouraging. Well, unfortunately, no, I'm just kidding. We will move to something I think that is more encouraging. Not that that's the point of a sermon to always encourage you, though it should. But two, we have to be willing to proclaim. We have to be willing to suffer if we're a Christ follower. And we need to be willing to proclaim. Look at verse 28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Often we can fall into the trap of believing that the only people who are responsible to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ are the people who get paid to work at a church. The only problem with that is the Great Commission isn't a pastoral commission, but is a commission that goes to every particular Christian. Paul is arguing that every Christian has a responsibility based on how he unfolds his ministry to preach Christ, to proclaim Christ, to declare Christ. He says, him we preach. And how does the Apostle Paul preach? Two specific ways. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Warning, some of your translations may say admonishing every man. There's the idea of pointing out false theology, pointing out doctrinal error. It, sometimes you hear people say, don't call out false doctrine. Don't talk about uh, things that we disagree with people. That just creates division. I love what some pastors have said. There's only two things that will happen when we proclaim truth. We'll divide truth from error. We're going to continually proclaim truth and call out error. This week, a pastor well-known in the country said, Old Testament, he's already said the Old Testament's out. There was another article released today with an adaptation from his book saying the Ten Commandments are out. They're out. Just telling you, friends, that's false theology. And we're going to call that out. We're going to proclaim it. We're getting ready to, as a church, uh, once we finish the book of Luke, to begin the book of Exodus. We're going to walk through the Old Testament as a church on Sunday mornings. Heresy has always accompanied truth. You want to know where the first heresy was found? You don't have to go very far in our Bibles if we have done our Bible reading plan this year. It's in Genesis 3. Did God really say? Three chapters in, someone's already promoting false doctrine, false theology. The Apostle Paul never shies away. And look, I, I just want to be clear. Wednesday nights are not going to become an opportunity for me to stand up here with a whiteboard and diagram sentences and pull people's arguments apart. That's not what we do in, in our church. That's not what we do in our college ministry. We're going to continue to uh, preach line by line through books of the Bible. We're going to do Colossians. And we're going to do Ruth. Then we're going to go to a New Testament book that I'm not even sure that I want to say that we're doing because I haven't fully feel like I've gotten released to do that from the Lord yet. I'm praying, 
trying to seek God's face, saying, what do we need to do? But make no mistake, the Apostle Paul never shies away from calling out error, but he also doesn't just call out error. Beware of people who are constantly pointing you to all the false stuff and never pointing you to the truth. Because that's what the Apostle Paul says, teaching every man in all wisdom. So it's calling out error, it's proclaiming truth, but ultimately, the ultimate truth is Christ. And as you become more enveloped and developed as a Christian with Christ, you can proclaim him more and more and more boldly. The reason why we proclaim Christ, not only to unbelievers, but also to believers, is that we may present, verse 28, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And you may say, David, that's a high calling. You're going to get us all to perfection? No. Understand that the, the word that the Apostle Paul, we might say, he's presenting every man mature in Christ Jesus. Some of your translations might read. The goal of Christian ministry, a Christ-centered ministry, is to produce and continue to train disciples to make other disciples who in turn make more disciples. But one of the ways that you make disciples is by convincing them of truth. That's through the preaching of the word. And then once they come to know Christ, continuing to proclaim Christ to them, to mature them and help them and send them out. We're after maturity. We're after proclamation. Friend, tonight, can I ask you, how much, are you, how much of your life is spent proclaiming Christ compared to the other things that you talk about? I'm very, very convicted on this point because much of my speech is about Christ and about theology to friends that already know him. And not very much time is spent proclaiming Christ to those who don't. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's incredibly easy in my own life to hide in my office under the guise of becoming more theologically smart, being more well-read, more well-rounded, preparing for sermons. While all of those things are important, it can easily become a place for me to hide and not get out and share the gospel. I've been challenged by that this week. I've been challenged by that pretty much the last few weeks. The lack of motivation I sometimes have to share Christ. And if we're honest in the room, we could probably go around the room and we could all nod in agreement at some level to the lack of which or the lack of desire that is burning in us to proclaim Christ. I'm just telling you, I want to be a part of a gospel-centered ministry. I want our college ministry to be a gospel-centered ministry. I want our church to be a Christ-centered ministry. I want that to be what we're known for. And if we're going to be known for being those people, we actually have to talk about Christ. So friend, when was the last time you, when was the time you get freaked out, share the gospel, oh my gosh, I've got to lead somebody to the Lord right now. How do I do that? When was the last time you just even spoke boldly about what it means to be a Christ follower? Maybe you have a friend that just seems to be confused all, often about what it means to be a Christ follower. When was the last time you invited that friend that would say confusing things about what it means to be a Christ follower to go get a coffee 
I'm going to clear some of those things up and say, I don't like coffee. Then take them to Chick-fil-A because they'll take you to Chick-fil-A. I'll explain why you're wrong. You buy me chicken. Are you also, though, in the habit regularly of listening to, studying, and learning what the Bible says so that you can call out false teaching as well as teach or instruct what's true? Are you in that regular habit? And I know some of you are freaking out right now. You're like, I got to call people out? Like, you mean like you do? No, because you'd probably be more charitable than I am at times. Calling someone out. Christians have gotten a bad rap for this because we have people that stand down on street corners and scream at people under the name of Christ. I don't think that's Christ honoring, Christ loving. I don't think Christ would have come to earth and screamed at people. Signing, uh, holding signs and saying judgmental things. But also notice that Christ in the New Testament is not shy about pointing out false theology. And he's also not apologetic about referring to people as a brood of vipers. I'm suggesting that that needs to be the name that you have for the people around you. But even Christ himself was committed to this. Are you in the regular habit of proclaiming Christ? Willing to suffer, willing to proclaim, and then finally, and I'll go quickly, willing to work. I don't have much to say at the end of this sermon on this particular verse because I think it's pretty self-explanatory and I hope to point us to that end. Verse 29 says, To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. The Apostle Paul is clear. He labors trusting that God is working in him, on him, and through him. I think sometimes we get into the mentality. I know I've been tempted this way, and I still am, because I think it's just a part of the flesh in our college ministry to think about how we can grow our college ministry. How can we get more people in our college ministry? How can we get more people to come and, and short of selling out to things that I don't believe are scriptural, I have to remember this. God has called me to labor, to strive and work, to proclaim his truth, while simultaneously trusting that he is working in me, on me, and through me. But not for my glory or my fame, but for his glory, his good, and his fame. There's nothing wrong shameful or wrong about being a, a hard worker when it comes to the area of ministry and sharing the gospel. I want to encourage us all tonight. I want to encourage us all tonight. One of the easiest ways for us to begin this year off working and striving to labor for the ministry of our college ministry and our church is to simply take that little three and a half inch business card with us as we leave today and to pray over it and to ask God that he might give us an opportunity to put that in someone's hand and speak the words of life to them. It's an easy way to begin. I, I want to remind us all, because I'm really praying this particular way. I think I, I'm trying to share from this text, but I'm also trying to share what Christ has done in me through this text. I'm really praying that this year we would see more college students saved. 
as a result of our college ministry. Not that we would just grow numerically like a bunch of more church people come and be a part of our college ministry. While that's great and that's good, and I certainly am hoping and praying that that happens, one of the things that I'm praying in 2019 is that the Lord would allow us collectively as a group, not just me, not just you, but us collectively as a ministry to see college students go from darkness to light. Not from nominal Christians to more sold out Christian. We want to see that. But we also want to attack the front lines of gospel ministry where people who don't know Christ would come to know him. But I have to remind myself, it's not my responsibility to save anyone, and I cannot save anyone. doesn't matter how much arm twisting, arm pulling, arm shoving, whatever your metaphor is to twisting someone into becoming a Christ follower. You cannot do it. It is a work of the Spirit that through the Word convicts someone of their need for Christ and brings them from darkness to light. So I'm wondering, are we faithful to labor? Are we faithful to work? Are we faithful? Do we even care about the people around us? The Apostle Paul says, look, this is a workman type ministry. It's a ministry that's focused on proclaiming Christ. It's Christ-centered. It's not flashy. There aren't a whole lot of gimmicks to it. It reminds me of that great movie, Remember the Titans, where Herb Boone hands out his playbook at the beginning of camp. One of the coaches remarks, awful thin playbook you've got there, coach. To which Boone responds, looks like another team. Give it time, it'll work. Are we going to be a church and a college ministry that believes that we need to manufacture what God desires for us to do? Or are we going to trust that the gospel, much like Novakim, if you give it time, it'll work. Let's pray together.